Hello, dental online trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartley. Welcome to another episode of DOT Sharecast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, dental online trainers. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, and welcome to our next Sharecast episode. As per usual, I am in my dungeon down in my, my basement where I have been since COVID. No, I've been out. But here I am in the comfort of my bunker and a great place for me to be able to sit down and spend some time with some wonderful people in the dental profession that can help us get better at our craft. I call this a share cast because if you're like me, you enjoy podcasts. But what I like about podcasts are those podcasts that really share information that I can use in my daily life, or in this case, my daily dental practice. So the people that I'm bringing with to the dental online training format or or, uh, platform are people who can share their information with us so that we can literally put it to use immediately right into our practice as we work with all the complexities of running a dental practice while trying to do awesome dentistry. Today, our guest, as we have had several times before, is uh, Jerry Gottlieb from GG Consulting. GG is not necessarily for Jerry Gottlieb, though it could be. It's for Get Growing. Jerry, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to have you back with us this year. Yeah. Always fun to be here with you and your dental online trainers. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Jerry, before we get started, we have a lot to talk about. In our first few episodes that we've talked to you, uh, we talked initially about defining your practice culture. Uh, then we talked about core values and how critical it is for the dentist to develop these core values for the practice. And we talked about modeling those behaviors in the practice culture and the core values. In our most recent episode, we talked about the beginnings of building the team. And we talked about uh, a re-interview process as we were coming back from COVID so that we can make sure we have the right people on the team and those people that are in the right positions. Right. Before we continue with this conversation, tell us a little bit about GG Consulting, how you sort of got into this and that we can get on with the good meat for today. All right. Well, the quick version is I've been in dentistry now for a little over 20, 29 years. Uh, I started off as an assistant and quickly that was not my skill set and moved into um, practice administration and, and treatment coordinating and then practice administration and, and managing. At the time, though, I was pursuing a degree in psychology with the focus on child development, uh, specifically with a secondary focus of young adult women or young women and growing into adults. So what I didn't anticipate was exactly how what I was studying would translate into the work that I do in dentistry and that I now do as a coach and consultant uh, in, in dentistry. I launched that GG Practice Coaching uh, last year, although I had been coaching now full-time for seven Part of that time for five years, I spent, you know, coaching in a large corporate or larger, you know, not corporate, but a large consulting firm or coaching firm um, that coaches many people at a time and instead went out on my own so that I could have a more boutique style coaching practice. When I launched into coaching and consulting, I also met at that sort of at that same time, uh, met and married my now husband, who is a periodontist, who at the time had two large perio practices, uh, very successful, busy perio practices. And um, I got the whole jolt 
of practice ownership and then now myself at business ownership. Right. And so here I am. I, you know, that's interesting. You have such a great background because you've been part of the administrative team. We've been part of all the teams, right? The clinical team and the administrative team. Mm-hmm. And one of the frustrations that I share with my partner, and we, we go through this, is that our team doesn't understand all the other stresses behind the scenes that yeah. we as the dentist owners that we have to deal with. You know, not only um, the fact that we ultimately have to manage all the bills and we have to do all that, but we're tr- also trying to do dentistry while we're trying to lead our team. And yeah. so probably seeing that from, from behind, that gave you a view that you didn't have when you were, um, when you were consulting without having that experience, I imagine. 100%. In fact, it was a true awakening and wake-up call, which I think really now it, for GG Practice Coaching and Development just gives me a really unique perspective. And the way I engage with teams and doctors is because I have lived on both sides. Right. Um, and so I see it through both of those lenses, which I didn't before. And even as, as, much, as much autonomy and growth and um, development that I had as a practice manager or administrator that my doctors that I worked for had gave me and entrusted me with, I still didn't know. Sure. Until I stepped into those ownership shoes. And I'm like knowing my own dentist husband and thinking, wow, no wonder, no wonder I get it now. So that just changed the way I approach coaching and and developing both leadership in the doctor, but leadership and team communication, the team, what they need to understand. Um, And then I became a business owner myself. Which right, just which added you, a whole other element, like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, then, then you understand yeah. the stresses from owning a business. Yeah. You know, this is not unlike for all of us who've been in practice is that you, what the dentistry I am able to do today is so different from the dentistry yeah. I was able to do 20 years ago, um, certainly 30 years ago. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, and I remember seeing Frank Spear when I was a young dentist. And I immediately wanted to go back and call on my patients and apologize <laughs> because, you know, I had no idea the way that dentistry could be done. And I would struggle with that when I would go to courses and I would learn better ways to do dentistry. And I would struggle for the dentistry that I had done before and have a certain guilt related to that. It took me some time to understand this is how it is in every facet of business, every facet of life. Yes. We're going to grow. Uh, we're, we're going to do the best we can at the time that we are. And we yes. can't apologize for our limited knowledge. The exciting thing is we get to grow. We get to keep learning like you have. And then yes. you get to be even better at what you're doing and what you're sharing. Yes. Dennis, thank you for saying that. I actually say that a lot. I think, oh, my poor first clients. Right. <laughs> like, you know, seven years ago, I thought I knew what I was doing. And I, and, and then, right. So, but, and I think we all sort of hit those strides. We, we're ready for what we're ready for, especially when we're open to it. And, and we get to just go forward versus, oh, I should go back. Now, I have gone back to some of my previous doctors that I, managed for one in particular and actually apologized for the way I misunderstood him from time to time. And um, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Sure. And that's, that's the reality of life. That's how it is for all of us. 
Okay, well, listen, I want to get, I want to get into, we, we left off with the interviewing process. Yeah. And in our last uh, meeting together, you described it a little bit different than when, we, when we're looking at, do, does the applicant have the skills, the clinical skills or the technical, technical skills? It's yeah. a little bit different than an interview. And, and tell us how you describe that. Uh, well, I, when the part about audition versus interview, yeah, exactly. yeah that we should be auditioning people versus interviewing people. Right? And that audition gives, gives us the opportunity to see how they play out the role. Yes. As you described it, you said, look, if we're going to feed them the answers in the interviews that we're looking for someone who does this, we want them to behave a certain way, then that person is going to try to fit into that behavior mode. And, you know, almost like saying we, everyone in this office walks around with their, with their right hand into their right hip pocket. And it's like, well, okay, I can do that. And right. So we, then we become an imposter, right? That's called the imposter syndrome, which is something oh. I've been looking at too, right? So we start to mimic, I want a mirror. Oh, cause I want this job. Well, yeah, that's funny. Cause I kind of, I really like putting my right hand in my pocket. I've never really thought about that before. No, I've never put my right hand in my pocket, right? right. But I want this job. And if that's what you guys do, then I'm going to say I do that. Right. And at some point, that person's going to be like, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Why, why are we yeah. walking around where everyone yeah. else in the office says this is the best thing in the world, right? Yes. So, um, so I love the idea of, and for those who have not looked at uh, our third episode together, I encourage them to go back and listen to that because then we go into a deep dive on what that means to have this audition and ways we can audition people in as we're going through the inter interview process. Right. And we also discussed as we're coming out of COVID, reevaluating the team members that we have and determining are they the right, you know, as, as has been said, and I don't know if this is uh, Lencioni who said this, is it the right people on the bus? Do you have the right people on the bus? Um, do we have the right people on the bus? Not only that, are they in the right positions? Yeah. And we talked about reassigning people in my practice, reassigning different positions that they would be better at because their skills are better at those particular positions. Today now, I want to talk about uh, how we've, we've talked about skills assessment for, for these potential employees, team members, but it's much more than that. And I, I remember uh, our study club had gone out to a meeting at Zappos. Uh, mm -hmm. For those who don't know Zappos, Zappos was an online shoe store before there was an Amazon. And the, the culture that uh, Tony Shea had developed at Amazon, at, excuse me, at Zappos was and essentially their model was is that you could order shoes, it was free shipping, you could try them on, if you didn't like them, you could ship them back they, at no cost. And they did this before anybody else did it. Right. But the thing that Tony Shea talks about that made Zappos different was their culture. And we talked about this in our first episode about culture and then in, about core values. But Tony Shea talked about, look, it is, we don't care if this person has an incredible skill level on whatever, mm -hmm. but if their, if their values are not aligned with our values, they're not going to be a good fit for us. Right. And one of the things he talks about in his book, The Zappos Experience, he talks about they actually have an employee pick up the applicant at the airport, and especially if this is for a higher level applicant. And they actually have the driver then do an assessment of the person that they picked up. So the person could have just killed it in the interview. They have these great skills. 
And if the driver said, you know, the guy was a real jerk, you know, he didn't thank me. He was, you know, he, he just wasn't pleasant at all. Then they immediately take him off the applicant pool because they know that that's not the kind of person that they want to have in their practice. Yeah, absolutely. Or in their business. So we need to do the same thing in our practice. We need to talk about culture. We need to talk about how do we find people, though they may have the correct clinical skills or technical skills, how do we make sure that they are the right person for our team? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about that. I'd love to, love to hear some thoughts that you have about understanding sort of the emotional intelligence and sort of these issues that are outside the technical abilities of the people that we're looking to hire. Sure, Dennis. So, right, you know, so we have an initial interview process. Maybe we're asking some questions. So as we talked about in our previous conversation is um, asking different kinds of questions and giving those people scenarios instead of just telling them what you're looking for. Now then, we've, if they've gotten through that process and we think, okay, I kind of, you know, this person seems like a, a good candidate to have a more conversation with or to bring them in for that skills assessment, then they bring come in for the skills assessment. Maybe they engage well, maybe they did okay if it's a chairside assistant or a hygienist. So whatever skills assessment we gave them, they went through that. We're like, okay, well, this is this might be a great fit. Well, then we often stop there and we hire them. But but are they? Are they the type of team player? How do we know and how will we know if they are the right fit, if they're an, what I what Patrick Lencioni calls and what we call an ideal team player? And what are we looking for? And then again, if you're asking me, if you're saying, you know, an ideal team player, Jerry, on our team is, and this is in Patrick Lencioni's work, is hungry, humble, and smart. You know, tell me what those things mean to you. And, you know, I start to assess and I think, oh, well, Jerry seems like she's, well, she's really smart. No, I don't mean that kind of smart. I don't mean intellectually smart. I don't mean. IQ, I mean emotionally smart. How do we know if they're emotionally intelligent? How do we know how they engage with other people or in difficult conversations? Or maybe they exhibit like that they're eager, they like to work, they like to work hard, and they say all of those things. Well, yeah. great. So we're looking for, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about Patrick Lencioni's The Ideal Team Player. But then what else do we need to know about them? What else are the things that hinder us in, on our teams when it comes to communication, when it comes to uh, all kinds of things? And that is, what is our personality or behavioral style, right? So, this, so we're looking at a few different things. We're talking, and again, talking from Lencioni, and there's, there's others who have described these things. Yeah. Um, but he says uh, the key ingredients they were looking for in, in his business are people who are hungry, meaning that they had a, they had a strong hunger appetite, I mean, strong work appetite, yeah. right? They, 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 um, they have a strong work, work ethic, if you will. Right. They want to learn. They want to grow. They always want to do better. So they're not comfortable. The person that's hungry, right, they're not comfortable with status quo, right? So you're going to learn that they are people who like to learn, like to get, go to continuing education, or they read a lot, or you know, that they didn't just stop at the bare minimum when they became an assistant, they went on and got their expanded duties or, you know, whatever it is. And, or I've taken a course on this, but, you know, even if it's something my practice wasn't doing because I wanted to lead and know, right? Hungry. Are you hungry for more knowledge and growth and development? I think we, we see this all the time in, in practices. In fact, a, a colleague of mine was just uh, talking to me about frustration with a dental assistant that the dental assistant will sort of do a task. 
and then the dental assistant will sort of hang out and then maybe come back and then ask for another task. And then, you know, they'll see the dental assistant just sort of like, you know, trying to look busy, but not really doing anything that's valuable to the, to the team, right? We see this all the time, right? And so that would be sort of a classic situation where this person just doesn't have hunger, where they're not looking for how can I help, what needs to be done without me telling them or having someone direct them what needs to be done. Is that, is that sort of the hunger that we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. That is the hunger that we're talking about. I, I also call that a level one employee or team member. A level one team member does what they're told to do. Okay, task oriented. Do this. Yeah. And they do it. Right? And they might do it well, but that's what they do. They do what they're told to do. And personally, I find that exhausting as an owner, right? Because then that person's always coming back. And that's what actually what my colleague was saying. It's like, it's exhausting because like they can't figure out the next thing to do. Yep. So while we're talking about that, this is, this is sort of as an aside, can these level one people, do you think, get trained up or be coached up to be at a higher level? Or do you think that if, as Lencioni says in his book, this is one of the most challenging things that if somebody's not hungry, this is a hard thing to be able to get people to be hungry. Like they kind of are or they aren't. Would, would yes. you, it, 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 maybe in a particular workplace, I'd say, because they could be really hungry doing something else, but right. where, you, where they are now, that's just not, it's not feeding their spirit, not feeding their soul. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I do think it's one of the, even, and as a coach and a, it's one of the hardest things I work with when I, when I'm trying to help somebody grow and develop that is actually not hungry for it. You, you almost yeah. have to cut bait, right? I mean, I, I hate to be it that way. I hate to be, but this is like the hardest thing. If they don't, if you can't care more about them wanting to do, do their job well than they do, right? Correct. Correct. Now, I, I can flip that for a second, and that takes me back to understanding a behavioral style or a personality style, is maybe I want to first examine, is my approach with them in line, it, it being received in a way that they can receive it and hear it? That's a great point. But I still think that even then, they're going to show you if they're hungry or not. That's a great point. We'll talk about behavior stuff in just a bit. Uh, that, that, that's an excellent point that I, quite honestly, I often lose track of because right. of my personality style. <laughs> I have a hard time remembering to look at other personality <laughs> styles. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Yes. Um, so the first thing we talk about hunger, right? Are they self-motivated, right? Do, do, they, do they see things that need to be done or are they just simply a level one task? Like I'll do this and then wait for direction for the second task. Yeah. The second thing we talked about was humble. And so t tell me what, what that means um, from your perspective when we're looking at team members and because this is something that I think resonates not just with um, hiring uh, team members, but also if an office is looking to hire associates. Well, one, absolutely. And I think this has been a challenge that I have had with some of the, um, with one or two associates I had in my history Mm -hmm. um, that was a real, real issue in our practice and, and ultimately did not work out well because of that. So tell me what, what your thoughts are about humble in this, uh, in this sort of ideal team player equation. Um, 
humble in the way that we are talking about it here is not the person who's like, oh, no, no, that wasn't me. That was, oh, no, I'm not that great or whatever, who, that sort of false humility person. Humble is the person who is, it's more about others and more about outward focus than it is about themselves, right? Humble in the sense that, so what, is, what does Patrick Glunzioni say here about this, about humility is that they lack excessive ego or concerns about status. Humble people are quick to point out the contributions of others, right? And how, because truly I'm only as good as my team and the people I surround myself with make me, right? right? So that sort of humility that is not, you know, that doesn't want all the accolades, that isn't ego or, you know, I have this degree and therefore, or, right? But they are, um, they know that it takes a collective whole. That's, that's how I look at it. That's kind of what, that's what Patrick Lencioni says, right? They share the credit. They emphasize team over self um, and define success collectively rather than just what they do. How often do you see that this is an issue from the leader? Um as much or more so than the other team players. <laughs> no, no, and I and I ask that because I think that's this is a real issue for dentists, right? And um, if if a dentist isn't humble, then you certainly, if we're going to be modeling behavior, as we talked yep. about in our recent episode, um, how can we expect our team members to also show that humbleness? Uh, absolutely, and it's I see it a lot. I see it a lot. I see ego a lot, right? That's really ego is what we're talking about there because it has to be like, I'm so smart. I've got this. I did this. And, and the truth of the matter is you are smart, right? You are smart. You, wouldn't, you can't get through dental school and, and, and right. start a practice and start working and not be smart. Um, but it's when we think less of others because we're the dentist and their assistant or their uh, this, or that I have this degree and they don't. And um, so I do, I see it a lot. And then we, yeah, we project that onto to our team and then how can they model it? How can they, because everyone's going to want to prove that they're good enough. Right. right. So, so then, then there, there has to be then this, this episode, I, I sort of imagine like in one of these, uh, these mud runs or whatever they are, where they have to climb up this, uh, this ladder, this, this uh, rope ladder, right? And people yes. are climbing over top of each other to sort of have this self-worth proof, right? Yep. Um, I, I certainly know, and I try to acknowledge that when, if we've had a successful procedure, or a successful um, outcome on procedures, it's, it's as much the dental assistant having, being there helping with it side by side, having the materials available, supporting the process. The front staff, the administrative staff have, have scheduled enough time without interruption so that we can do it to success. Yeah. That they've talked about the fees beforehand so that the patient is well aware of what it's going to cost and that they have committed to that. And then the, the patient to allow us to do those, do what we need to do with multiple appointments very often, surgeries, orthodontics, right? It is, it is truly collaborative. Yeah. Uh, and I think for when dentists sit there and, and think, well, you know, no one else could do this. Well, you know what, if you put these other dentists with my team, um, I think they could do that because I think that our team can lead them through these processes that we, that we use to be successful. Yeah. So like when you have, I have, you know, I work with dentists and I'm, I, I have one right now, not you or Chris, um, <laughs> but I do have a, a, a one dentist who she, 
she does get into her she she thing that everybody's stupid except her mm -hmm. right and so that's a it takes that's hard and then yet you wonder why you're not getting performance now when it comes to an interview process and one of the ways i look at and i'm looking for humility is based on the questions that i ask or that we ask are there answers more i focused are there answers more are we focused or in on this team i you know one of the things that was really great was to watch my team really development develop and take off and do awesome with something right so i'm looking for more we less i so give us an example of like uh give us a question if you're trying to understand if somebody has has humility if they're humble what, what would be a question that you would ask them Oh, Dennis, <laughs> now I'm on the spot. Well, we're sharing. This is good yeah, exactly sharing. Well, I, so going back to sort of that way of auditioning, I like to give them a scenario. So okay. you know, you're in our practice. In our practice, um, Dennis, we have team, team meetings regularly. And uh, sometimes in our team meetings, they can get a little stale. People don't contribute and people and then later they complain outside of the meeting. You know, tell me um what you would do in a situation like that or what would that look like for you how would you you know work with the team if their answer is more like i would do this i that i like to do this versus well i would want to know what is what's holding them back what are they why aren't they contributing i would try to encourage i would go first maybe if i went first and then they would follow and then i'd say great tell me a time or show me which because i hate that tell me a time but you know I want to look for a time that they had a challenge in their work environment mm -hmm. or a school environment or a team they were on and where they brought the team, you know, or how they had success or overcame that challenge. If again, it's like, well, I did all this, I did this and I did that. And they never say what anybody else contributed and or how they helped the whole team come together. Then I'm like, so you could you could absolutely ask a question like, let's say this is a young applicant, so they're recently out of school. Mm -hmm. You could say, tell me about a project you worked on in school with with other you know with some other students. Yes. What was the pro what what was the project? What did it look like? What did you guys do? Well, and tell me about your experience. And if they sit there and talk about, oh God, you know, I had to do everything because this guy didn't do this, and I knew he wouldn't show up that that's got to send up some red flags right yes exactly right exactly great example talk about how they work together and this was the outcome mm -hmm. and this person did the presentation because this person's just stronger in front of a group we helped put the material together that that's sort of what you're looking for right a absolutely um so i'll give you an example it was somebody i actually interviewed for you okay. <laughs> i think it, and it was if you remember i sent you a message that said oh heck no Okay. This person, you're not getting another interview with this person. I, everything I asked her, or and honestly, she, I didn't have to ask a lot of questions because she just took off and, and started the conversation, was all about her, how great she was, how, um, you know, do it, do it right, and do it right the first time. That's how I am. I like it. Get it done. Do it right the first time. And I think, well, how would you know if, how does somebody, how do you expect somebody to do it right the first time? Well, if I told them and I show them, you know, I do it right the first time. I get it. I don't take very much effort, right? And I was like, oh gosh, like, no. So, so Jerry, you've done a lot of interviewing in your career. Do you have some, <laughs> yeah. do you have set questions um, 
in front of you, because we've done this, we've come to having some, some basic questions so that we can test for um, humbleness, so we can test for hunger and stuff. Do yes. you have questions that you already sort of have? Now, you may not ask all those questions, but you have a series of questions that you have in front of you. I do. I do have a series of, at least I have some basic guideline questions. And again, it's, and I'm happy to talk outside of this if anybody wants some tips with this. It's not those basic closed end or even those open-ended questions where people get stuck like, you know, what's your five-year vision or goal? I, I want to know, and then I listen for those responses. I, I ask certain questions. I listen for the responses, and then I draw on the response to ask another question. That's come with a lot of practice and a lot sure. of adult education training and stuff of my own. But I do that and I do ask the same questions and here's why. If we go with the model of asking different questions for every applicant, we are no longer comparing, you know, mm -hmm. apples to apples, oranges to oranges. Sure. Now we've got a grape and we got a apple and we got an orange and we got a plum. And right. how do we disseminate then between all of those different fruits? Which yep. one we're gonna, which one we should pick to bring back to do more. So yeah, I look for certain specific things because I also am looking for these three traits, humble, hungry, and smart first. So would it be, uh, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Oh, would it cool. be possible for you to share some of those questions that we could put on the website yeah. so that a dentist or, or if it's a manager, that yeah. they would have access to those questions and I know we're going to talk at the end, you're going to offer some time to our dental online trainers, yep. but having those questions, maybe you could give them some guidance. And it's been very helpful for us. And we're asking much different questions than what we used to. Well, you guys are really good at asking your questions now. I'm so impressed. It's funny because so, so online trainers, we have, I've been helping with some interview process with uh, Dr. Hartley and his team. And when I get to ask the questions first and then hand them off is one thing, but I've been being handed off from them some of the questions and I'm like, they're asking all of my questions. I gotta, <laughs> now I gotta get, I gotta, I'm challenged here. I've got to dig a little bit deeper and it's been very fun. So you are doing a great job with asking some new questions. The answer is yes, I will share some of our basic online questions and some of them I'm still tweaking because sure. I'm still evolving with this too because I'm really looking at this differently. When I look at success rates of hiring, I'm thinking, what are we missing? Sure. And, and quite honestly, I think a lot of us just don't even know the questions to ask. This, yeah. this is, I see this with the young dentist when, um, when we're talking about the new patient experience. Very often, they, the young dentist doesn't even know the questions to ask to help guide the patient through their, through their conversation. Um, but this is obviously a, a different issue. But that's the same thing, right? And so sometimes we're just hiring the warm body, like, oh my gosh, they did, they, they, they are clean and they didn't swear and they whatever. I think that'll be fine because I don't know what else to ask about for them. The the third thing that you brought up was smart, and not mm -hmm. smart in like IQ, but more EQ. And yes. so talk to me about what what we should be looking for with team members as we're interviewing them related to EQ and the dental for the ideal dental team player. Um, I'm going to say, Dennis, this is probably one of the, so we're looking for emotional intelligence. We're looking for self-awareness. We're looking for um, I, I, calmness, but that's not the word, but the, but the way people respond to things like, are we, emo we all know what are we emotionally, is this person emotionally stable, mature? Are they aware of other people? Um, are they so just about who they are or them? 
themselves that they don't see, you know, they're not able to see their own flaws, let alone their strengths, let alone somebody else's. Yep. Um, it is the hardest one, I think, to get. To dig out. To dig out early on. Yeah. But it's also, and I know we'll talk about this later too, it's also why I use behavioral or personality style assessments too as a talking point and, and have them because it'll sometimes, it'll tell you, right? If that's a challenge for them. Right. So like with the way Patrick Lencioni describes this, right? And talks about this, it's they have common sense about people. Uh, smart people tend to know what is happening in a group situation and how to deal with it in the most, um, in a more effective way than other people who are like, you know, you, you know, those people that come to you and like Susie Q and Sally Sue are, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I don't even know what to do with it. I'm so over it. I don't know what to do because I'm just annoyed. Right. Right. Versus the emotionally, the smart person is like, okay, I'm assessing, seeing what's going on. Let me figure this out. Let me help bring this conversation together because I can see it from both sides and I can help sort of bring this piece together. Right. Um, so I try to ask questions that give us examples of that. Like, how do you handle when two, like something that my associate Kim really likes to ask is how do you handle, you know, or tell me a time, not tell me a time. I'm going to get away from that phrase, but how do you handle when two people are in conflict with one another? We've asked that question for our recent applicants, and it's interesting how many people say, oh, I've, no, that, that, doesn't happen, that, that doesn't happen where I work, or that's never happened where I've, where I've worked. Then they're not aware, right? And, right. <laughs> or they're then, in denial. They're in denial, or they're just flat out lying. Uh, and, we've, I, and that has been a consistent thing that we've heard as we've been interviewing for practice administrators. Like, no, that, in, in where we work, that, that doesn't happen. Everyone gets along really nicely. And, and, and I'll say, I love that. We all get along really well. We're a really great team. So we didn't really have a lot of, of, of that kind of thing that I had to deal with. Or, and, if I, and, and even more, they'll say, well, if we do A, B, and C, then that doesn't actually happen very often. And I call BS on that because, right. you know, I think healthy, the healthiest relationships, the healthiest teams, the most successful ones are the ones that engage in really healthy conflict. Absolutely. You got a challenge, right? You, if you're going to yeah. just flow with the status quo, that that's completely unhealthy. If you believe in a business model that has to change to be successful because yeah. the environment around us, the world is changing, i.e. COVID. And so now we have to have a whole different set of rules. You have to have people on the team that are going to challenge, right? So there should yeah. be conflict. It's got to be healthy conflict. But to grow in a business, there has to be conflict. Otherwise, if you just have a bunch of people who are just going to nod their head and say yes, that's a really unha unhealthy business, I think, right? It feels more comfortable. Yes, yes. Because none of us like to have to engage in conflict, but it's actually counterproductive. So that smart person is someone who also doesn't um, fuel fire on conflict uh, and doesn't isn't consistently saying things or doing things that are hurtful to the other team members or hurtful to a scenario. Um, you know, I think someone who, I think I'd rather have somebody who's humble and hungry and help them with it you know, than not smart. Right. Or, I'm sorry. Let me say, if, if you're missing this piece, that's, that's hard. Right. But if you're missing humble, that's also hard. Like they all have to kind of, you need, some, you need some level of all of them. And if someone's completely void of one of them, you can't get over it. Um, but you can certainly coach up some stuff. You, and I, I mean, I don't know yet. I wonder if you can coach up on this EQ. I think some people are open to it. 
I yes. think it's a struggle for sure. Um, cause we have our natural biases and things that we're going to sort of fall back and relapse to. Uh, but if people are, I think are open to learning about it, I think that people can, I know that I, my EQ is way higher than what it used to be. I mean, I, yeah. you know, Mine I, too. I was a dope, um, still am in some degrees, but not nearly as a dope as I was. Me too. So the cool thing about smart people or aware people, and as we learn this, right. That's and a better we, word. I think aware, right. right I think aware is a, yeah. Mm -hmm. Aware of it was that, you know, for me. Um, I can get in a situation that might emotionally trigger something that I could if I responded right then or I acted in that moment would not be very humble or nice or anything. And but that the awareness is that I know it mm -hmm. and I have learned and have different tools and mechanisms to actually respond differently right. or wait and respond think through it differently and then so that I can create a better outcome. Right. So I think we can learn that and grow for sure. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast that I love. This is my, probably my favorite podcast is how I built this. It's an Ooh. NPR uh, podcast. A guy named Guy Raz is the, uh, is the uh, MC or the interviewer. And he interviews uh, entre entrepreneurs. I hate that word. Um, and he had an interview recently with a guy named Danny Meyer. And most people won't know this name, but Danny Meyer is a restaurant restaurateur. Do you know who he is? So I'm very much so. He's he's built a number of restaurants in New York, including Gramercy Tavern and several others. But what he also did, he started uh, Shake Shack. Yeah. And it's a wonderful interview. So if, for people who are looking for a great podcast, if you go to this one. But it, it's, a, it's a lengthy interview, but one of the things that he talks about during the interview, Guy Raz asks him about, as he was starting to build more restaurants, mm -hmm. how did he manage that? And uh, Danny Meyer says what they realized that they had sort of six emotional skills that they were seeing in their, in their not favorite employees, but their, 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 their best employees. Yeah. So Guy Raza asked Danny, what are those uh, six emotional skills? And it fits into the three that we just talked about, but maybe they're broader a little bit, which I may be bad or maybe good, but he talks about work ethic, which I think falls into hungry. Yeah. And then he, then he goes into some other things that I think are really interesting. He talks about kind optimism. Yeah. Kind optimism. I mean, you just think about that. And you've told us this before you said, this is sort of like thinking the best of a situation. Think of the best of the person in a situation. Yeah. So don't go to the dark side. Like they did this because of this. It's sort of like, a, you know, understand um, that things happen and think of it sort of on the light side, sort of the, the kind optimism. Yep. Um, curious intelligence. And that's, that's sort of favorite. part of that hunger, right? <laughs> yeah, I love right. that. Yeah. Curious intelligence, right? What can I do? And that goes into that work ethic a bit. He talks about empathy. People should need to have empathy. And then as we were talking about self-awareness, and so we we're talking about sort of that EQ, right? Having understand yourself, right? Understanding how you behave around others and how, you, how, they, how their behaviors can affect you. Yep. And then finally, he talks about integrity, which I think gets into that humbleness also. Uh, but I thought it was great. Kind optimism, curious intelligence, work ethic, empathy, self-awareness, and integrity. And I thought that was really sort of just um, gives another spin onto the hunger, humble, and smart, and just sort of another way to look at it. 
but yeah. I think I it is it. organizations that are willing to understand from Zappos through um, Shake Shack, through you know Chicago Beautiful Smiles, trying to find these team members that have that have high skill level, but also have these other desirable qualities, so that we have a team then that can affect change for our for ourselves, for our team members, and for our patients. So when, when we're interviewing these, uh, these potential applicants and they've gone through sort of a skills assessment as this audition, as you described before, right. um, how, how do we then shake it out? So uh, walk us through an interview process. So we've, we've done a skills assessment. We think, all right, we can, you know, they, they have a basic skill set that we can then nurture and we can grow and get them to be uh, model behaviors that we want. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking and we're talking about these behavioral aspects. Yeah. So we've just interviewed this person and we think, and here's a trouble for us. All right. We think that they're a good fit for our practice, right? Mm -hmm. But we're, how do we know what's, what should we be thinking about next as we're going through this process? So this is where for me, Dennis, um, some sort of behavioral or personality style assessment comes into play. Okay. The ones I go to tend to be DISC, mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs, mm -hmm. uh, Culture Index, some of those. My favorite and the one I use, as you know, um, especially with teams, is DISC. Um, the reason I choose DISC is because it is complex information complex things us human beings simplified right? yeah we i'd agree have, with that i don't have to remember that we're an xypq elemento <laughs> yeah and for those who have not taken the myers-briggs or aren't familiar with these um we uh, our study club brought in a um, someone who administered the myers-briggs for us this is many years ago and it's really interesting and you understand about how, what motivates you and how you respond and stuff, but it is quite complicated. Yep. And I think it's difficult to be able to use in a team environment easily. And I think also what I like about the disc, and I know you're going to describe this for us in more detail. What I really like about the disc is that we can also look at these patterns and how our patients may um, follow into those profiles. Sure. So to communicate differently with them, right? So that's exactly in, it. In this, in this situation that we're talking about, which is how we interview and interviewing differently and looking at things differently and going a little bit deeper. One of the things I find so often, I am guilty of doing this myself, is that when we are looking to complete or add to a team, we gravitate and tend to like and want to hire the people that we like. That are like us. Or that are like us. And we for like sure. people that are like us. For sure. Right? So let's say, for example, so from in myself, I, I'm a high eye on the disc scale, which just means I'm very more I'm outgoing. I'm talkative. I engage with people. And so I like people who are like that. Mm -hmm. Naturally, right? I can gravitate to them very quickly. That's easy for right. me. They're like me. It doesn't mean we get along well, or that, but, but it just means they're like me. Well, we tend to hire people that way, right? Especially, I think sometimes too, we let a team vote on it on on a potential hire, and they think, oh my gosh, we really loved her. She was so fun, and she was this, that, and the other thing. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Except, what if the biggest piece that your team is missing 
that would really help level you up and move you forward as somebody who's actually more grounded, more serious, more conscientious, right? It takes all types. The word I like to use, diversity, right? We need diversity on a team to actually really be a high-performing team. Now, instinct would tell me, knee-jerk reaction, is that actually diversity is going to cause more conflict and that's going to make it, uh, it's going to be, you know, more drama in the office because different personality types. I, I mean, my, my instinct would be, you know, if I get a team of people that are really like-minded, then I'm going to, we're going to be able to kill it because we're all thinking the same way. And then we don't, we won't have to deal with all this sort of nonsense going off on the side. All right, correct me. Why is that? Why is that not accurate? Because well, to me, there's something different between being like-minded. Okay. So we could be like-minded around an idea. Sure. Right? Okay. So, so um, we might want the same result. Okay. But we have, can have a different worldview mm-hmm. of how we get to that result. Got it. Now, if all of us are like-minded and like worldviewed, and we say we want this result, we start going, oh, yeah, like if it was all eyes like me, we're like, let's do it. Let's do this. This is going to be great. We can go here. And we might really be missing some loopholes and things or tidbits of information, detail that are actually would actually make us not get there. So now we're climbing all over each other. Then the next thing you know, we're not getting the results and we can't figure out. Now we actually have conflict. Right. So, so if you want to build a rocket to the moon, right? Like, let's get this rocket to the moon. Well, you need the people who actually can figure out how to make the rocket yep. get to the moon. Right. And that may not be the person who had the idea of getting the rocket to the moon, who have that vision. Exactly. Right. And t- typically it's not the same person, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, but almost never is it the same person. Can you roll through the four basic DISC styles in DISC, D-I-S-C, for those who are not familiar, and each of those letters uh, sort of connotates a particular style. So first of all, talk about what that means, the style, what that means, and then talk about the four different DISC styles that are there. What does it mean, DISC style? Well, DISC is more, um, it is a personality assessment. But a true personality assessment has um, four dimensions to it, or six dimensions to it. And DISC truly is, is really is a two-dimensional model with four particular styles, and then we break that down into 12, and I know we're going to talk about that in a future episode. Mm-hmm. But DISC is more about our most natural tendencies, our most natural behavioral styles are what is outward um, and visible and how we process and how we engage more than, and there's so many things that are complex in that, right? And with your personality style, it involves, you know, upbringing. It involves all kinds of things. Sure. Um, Horoscope? No, just kidding. Sure, sure. Maybe. It can involve that too, right? And, and it with our behavioral styles, um, our natural, most natural tendencies are who we are most all of the time in most every situation. Although we might be more inclined to be more outgoing with our friends than we are at work, or we might be more outgoing at a party environment, 
um, or we can we can adjust and and behave in a certain way. But at home, we actually we would rather just be at home and sitting than having a book open, right? So well, we'll hear that we'll, we'll hear that commonly with uh, some of our team members that at home they have a much different personality style than what they'll exhibit at the office. You know, because, you know, many of them are, are moms and they, you know, they're the ones who got to make sure that, you know, the food's on the table, for instance. And I don't mean to be uh, uh, stereotyping. Uh, this certainly is, you know, male and female. You know, but, but speaking about my particular team members, this is what I've heard them address. Like, if I didn't, if I didn't figure out the menu, then we'd be having frozen pizzas every night. Right. right. And so they feel that they have to be much stronger in their personalities when they get home, whereas at the, at the office, they're going to have a, a different personality style. Sure. So, and I think the, when you talk about tendencies, I think that's really sort of the issue. It's, it, we all have lots of different sort of... Um, parts to us. Yeah, parts to us. Yeah. But I have a certain reactive tendency, right, um, and that, I, that I've become aware of that. You know, it's taken some time for me to learn this about myself, um, but it's about the tendency. So let's okay. talk about that and then the first, the four styles. The, the, do you, so do you want to go into this now or do you want to talk about how I use it in interview process and why we would, we're looking for diversity, not necessarily um, like, just likeness? Let's talk about the four in generalities, the four types, and then we're going to scooch it back and talk about when we're interviewing, why it's good to know those four styles. Great. So in DISC, which is the simplified one that I like to use, D stands for dominance, um, directness. So someone with a D style tendency or a D style or D behavioral tendency um, tends to be more of a driver, more direct. Um, you're a D, right? right. So you're, you know, you're like, let's just get it done. I don't need all the fluff. I don't need the things. Let's just do this, right? They're action-oriented, results-oriented. Let's go. And they're more outgoing, right? So that's that two levels of the, of the dimension. They're on the top level of that dimension, which is more outgoing. The I... Let me, let me interrupt for one second. For those who are not um, familiar with the disc, the disc is broken into a circle. And at the top half of the circle, there's D and I. Mm -hmm. And then that's split in half. In the bottom half of the circle... There's C and S. So there's almost four quadrants to this. There's four pie. quadrants. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then we break it up into even, so it's, it's lateral and horizontal, right? Lateral, <laughs> horizontal dimensions. So I then stands for influence. Someone with a high I style or a strong I style, it tends to be also very out, more outgoing, um, expressive, um, inclusive, warm, friendly. They like to have Fun. Think of, you know, just like the, I like to be hostess with the mostess or, you know, the cheerleader type. Um, wants everybody to get along and have a good time. Um, moving down to the lower dimension, which tends to be more introverted, but doesn't mean they're not social. It just means that their most natural tendency is that they're really comfortable also not saying much or they don't have to be the center of attention. Um, so then, then we have S, and S stands for steadiness. Um, steadiness, they like things calm, they like, they like structure, they like things to be the same, things, but they are also very warm, empathetic group. Um, they want everybody also to feel inclusive, so they share a lot of common traits with the I style, but more in a more reserved way, typically, or a gentler way. And then C is your conscientious style, more succinct, analytical, 
uh, a lot of clinicians fall into this C category, hmm. right? More scientific, more give me the facts, and they want to, they need proof, a little bit more proof with things too. Sure. And they like time to process. S is the same way. They need more time to process. D's and I's are, tend to be quick thinkers, quick responders, right? If you say, hey, let's do this, let's do a podcast, Jerry, or a sharecast. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, right? right. I, versus if I'm a C or an S, those styles tend to be like, okay, but what are we going to talk about? And can we plan it out? And I need a couple of days to, to think about it. And yes, I want to do it, but I just need some time. I think that's a great way to understand why it's so important that we understand the, uh, the, the way people behave because yes. it, for, and, and speaking personally, mm -hmm. when I would approach someone on a, on a, on a subject or, or an issue and they were an S or a C and they needed time to sort of develop the idea. Yeah. I found that they just couldn't make a decision. And you would get frustrated. And I would get frustrated because I make decisions pretty easily and pretty quickly. And I'm yep. okay if my decision ultimately is bad, um, but that's just sort of my, my style. And I would be impatient with people who need take, and I still, I challenge myself because I can be impatient with people who need to sort of think about things and rethink about things and make sure that they understand before they can commit to, to doing that. Yeah. And let me just sort of, I'll, I'll bring this as simply as I can, Dennis. I think when the, something like DISC is used to number one, help me understand me first and foremost. Right. Why does, why do I like this or why do I respond this way or okay, I get it. I'm more quick action oriented. Right. But Susie is not. And when I go at Susie and I want action and she doesn't, that stresses her out. Like that's like, then she responds a certain way to me. And then I think, what's wrong with her? Like, why not? Right? So right. the first thing about DISC or any behavioral style assessment or personality assessment is that it helps us to understand us first. Mm -hmm. That's then great. When we use that with a team or an applicant, then we can say, aha, well, no wonder Susie has such a hard time with this. Oh my gosh, Susie, I come at you all the time, constantly wanting you to act fast and you don't. And I get so frustrated with you. Now we have right. conflict. Versus if I know that and I know I want quick action or I want them to be as enthusiastic about this idea as, as, as I am. Right. I think in order for Susie, if I now know that about myself and I understand Susie a little bit more, I can say, here's what I know Susie's gonna need. So let's say Susie's a C, really okay. analytical, needs data, needs supported information. I can still be enthusiastic about my idea, mm -hmm. but I better have taken a minute to write down some things that I know that Susie's gonna wanna know the answers to, right? What, what's, what, how do I support this idea? Here's what I've looked up already, Susie. And then I take it to her and I ask her, you know, is this a good time for me to have this conversation with you? Instead of, it came into Jerry's brain and therefore it must come out now, which right. is part of my style, right? I have to control that. Mm -hmm. So now I can go to Susie and say, oh my gosh, I have an idea. I'm super excited about it. Can I share it with you? And she's like, sure. 
And I say, so look, and I put the a piece of paper down in front of her and say, I'm thinking we should go to all online scheduling. Mm -hmm. Well, for a C and an S, number one, that would be traumatic. So because, have, they, because they don't like change. Oh, yeah. And then the, who would control the schedule? The schedule would be a mess. Oh, goodness. Versus if I give them and say, listen, I know, you're, I know you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no way. And give up control of the schedule. How would that work? Here's what I looked up. Here's what I've learned already, Susie, about allowing people to schedule online. You get mm -hmm. more engagement. You get, you know, I start giving her those facts. And then I say, I just want you to think about it. Let me give it to you. So I've already chosen in myself, because I know, Jerry, I know you want an instant answer because you want to move on this like you're so excited about it. You want to move on it today. Right. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give Susie a couple of days and I'm going to ask her, when can I revisit this with you? Mm -hmm. Well, now we're getting to have a conversation about it. She's going to look at it. She's had time. I haven't pushed her. I haven't put her up against the wall. Right. She's like, okay, well, here's the things I see. And what's awesome about having diversity on your team is that Susie, I promise you, mm -hmm. is going to see things and or some potential roadblocks or hiccups that we're going to want to be pre proactively working on that I will not have seen. For sure. Because they see every step. They need to because they're very analytical. They got to look at every, every step. Exactly. And so when like a D or an I just look at the big picture, this is the end game. And they can see all the little things that are in between, which quite right. honestly, I'm just not very good at. No, Dennis, like if it was you and I, well, we'd have a lot of fun. Right. And we'd come up with all kinds of ideas and it would, we'd mess up on a, most of them. Yeah. It'd be a yeah. hot mess. I mean, it'd be a hot mess sometimes, right? Because we wouldn't have all that. We need those other pieces. We need someone else to look at that. So getting back into the interviewing process. So let's say that the dentist that are listening to this, they're the ones who are doing the interviews. Yep. Okay. And so I would imagine that most dentists are coming from either the C, um, very, you know, very analytical, conscientious, mm -hmm. um, or I imagine there's some Ds like me um, who, who like, you know, running a business and stuff. I know my partner, Chris, has a big I content to him, mm -hmm. but I think he also has a lot of D and C in him as well. Yep. So when, we're, when we are interviewing potential team members, mm -hmm. I think a lot of our uh, dental assistants probably tend to be in that S category, those caregivers, the people who are very, um, very um, caring. Is that, yep. is that, is that accurate? Across the board. Um, your assistants and hygienists all tend to typically live in that lower dimension the more introverted more process like steadiness like things to be the same like consistency um I, truly that is across the board in the in in our industry As in hundreds and hundreds of practices and it it i'm always excited when i see somebody an assist a clinical person who actually is a d or an i i'm like woohoo! Yeah, right <laughs> Well, as an aside, you, we, we hear often that a dentist will come back from a conference and have this new technique or new material that they want to use and they're really yeah. excited. And the team will say, you know, just give it a little time and then he'll just, you know. He'll sit me down and forget about it. And we don't have to deal with it. Because a lot of those team members are S's and C's and they don't like the change. And you have a dentist come in very enthusiastic about a product. And then what, what it has taught me is, is that when I want to affect change, I got to slow it down. Right. I got to I got to understand that they're going to process it differently 
And I just can't go at them with like, hey, we're going to be doing this, doing this, because they're really, they'll be like, yeah, sure, we will. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, and, and they say no, right? The first right. response for them is no, uh-uh, no, why? Oh, here we go again. I don't want to. Right. Right. All right, so getting now into our interview again, and yeah. we know that these that our applicant, we've we've done a skill assessment, and we've sort of starting to understand their behavioral components. How do they? Um, are they humble? Are they hungry? Um, what's what's their their EQ? Their smarts? Yeah. Now pull me into this disc assessment because we talked about the dental assistant who maybe is doing these tasks. He's maybe level mm -hmm. one person. And mm -hmm. how does this, um, understanding their disc style, how does that help you understand more about these applicants or these team members that we already have? So um, number one, when I, let's say I'm um, interviewing for a, a practice administrator or leadership role in, in a practice. Okay. And I, we've gone through all these other pieces and now they finally, you know, they're like, okay, they've made it to this tier and we're going to go ahead and really consider them for the role. And I give them a, a, a disc behavioral assessment, then I can see, and it opens up more dialogue depending on where they fall. Like if that person, and I need that person to be, you know, take charge, to really run with projects and things like that, and they, their style is an S or a C that's way, like way, way that strong in that style, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get the job. It doesn't mean that they're not even the right person for the job. It means that we're going to have to have a different and new conversation about. So understanding, you know, Jerry, I see that you, do you think, do you agree with this first of all and say, oh yeah, it's really, it's, it's a lot like me. I'm a processor. Mm -hmm. Great. And we need that too. Right. But how, tell me then, how are you going to handle it? And we have a project or a thing that says, and we need action fast. What's that going to be like for you? Where are you going to get, how is that going to, you know, and you knowing that that's going to be a challenge for you, then how, tell me how we're going to work through that. Tell me how you're going to be able to handle that. Or if you don't like conflict, um, nobody likes it. So, but if I, if you are really like, oh yeah, no, I can't, you know, I'd rather crawl into a hole than, than mm -hmm. have a conflict with somebody. As a manager and a leader, you're going to face that stuff all day long, right. every day. So how, how are we going to deal with that? Now, if they're truly inclined and they've got nothing showing that, that makes them more outgoing and, and if you're looking for the face of your practice, no matter how much you enjoyed them and how many skills they have, they're not going to end up being that person for you. That's a great point. It's like the, uh, like the third leg in the stool, right? So we yeah. have a skills assessment. We have the behavior assessment. So they're, they're hum humble, they're hungry, they're smart. But if that last part doesn't fit into what you need for the practice, Right. So if you're looking for someone who maybe it's just the opposite, maybe you're looking for someone that isn't really like not, you know, they don't have a strong D like a strong yeah. D would be really bad in that role. And you need someone who's going to be more thoughtful and more you know, yeah. conscientious. Then right. you get someone who's strong D, you may say, you know, th that would appeal to me. But for that position, that's not going to work very well. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And I can see some other things. So like my own disc style, for example, um, you know, I'm a high I and let's say, but if you wanted me as your practice administrator or as your coach, who also has to be paying attention to data and analytics for you, mm -hmm. it, you you're going to want to see, do I actually have that in me or am I going to have to stretch so far to do that piece for you? 
that it will actually hinder how I behave in other areas because I'm so worn out trying to be this other style, oh, right? Whereas, you know, but I can learn to do those things sure. and be really good at them. Sure. But I still would rather be your cheerleader. Now I'm sure. going to do those other things. But if I had no C in me, I happen to have a lot, which is surprises people. Mm -hmm. I'm very analytical and dive deep into data. But you know this, I dig, dig, yep. dig. Um, that means I can, I'm going to be able to do those pieces for you. And I'll actually find a way to find joy in it, right? So that's that hungry part. Like, how can I make this fun? How can, because sure. uh, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. But how can I make it fun? How can I make it so we all get to have a part of it? Or better yet, do I know how to delegate it to somebody who loves that? Thinking sort of outside the box um, that I'm still ultimately accountable for or, or responsible for those numbers. But wow, Susie loves to play with the numbers and get me the data and talk to me about it. And now I can present it. Right. So how are they that way? So those are the pieces I look at and start to think about putting things together. As we've learned more about DISC styles in our practice, and we've all gone through the DISC assessment, and we, mm. we've spent a lot of time talking about this. And yeah. one of the books that we read as a team is called The Chameleon, uh, which is uh, for dentists out there, if you want to get a, uh, I think, I don't want to say it's a basic understanding, because I think it's more than basic, but it's an easy read, and our team enjoyed it very much. Um, but The Chameleon uh, talks about the four different disc styles as it relates to four different types of birds. So the D would be an eagle, the I would be a parrot, the S is a dove, and the C is an owl. Yeah. We experienced that together as a team. And what I find really interesting now is that when we have had applicants come in and the team has had a chance to meet with them, the team will describe their personality style, their disc style. They'll say, oh, that, that, she's a real dove. And we'll talk in those conversations about how do you think, why do you think that? And they'll talk about, you know, conversations that they had. And then we, then we can talk about, well, how do you think the dove is going to fit into the practice? Yeah. So I'm, so I guess one of the, one of the things that I'm thinking is probably not, I think there are times when we want to maybe do a disc evaluation, if we're going to be looking at a higher level um, person we're bringing in, like a practice administrator, right? Mm -hmm. We want to really get to know that person. But if mm -hmm. we're looking for a dental assistant, do we need to go through that? Or can we um, sort of, as we learn about what each of the styles is like, can we just sort of start to understand, okay, this is where this person is probably coming from, and then maybe learn more about them as they get into the practice? So I'm going to say yes and no. Uh, yes and. Um, I still believe that every new team member, maybe they don't get the full on assessment, but as you know, I wanna, I'm going to send you a scaled down version of that assessment because the danger that we get into is when we observe people's outward behavior mm -hmm. and then make the assumption that that somehow uh, relates to actually who they are and how they process stuff, especially situationally. Okay. So for example, the danger in, in labeling a patient a particular style versus let me just be aware of who they are and I bet she, she seems more like this style. This is how she responds. If we get, people are scared to go to the dentist. Sure. So yeah. at the dentist, I might not be as outgoing as I, normal, as I typically sure. am in every other part of my life. 
Right. Right. Um, so we can, we can misunderstand the outward behavior. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to be careful. Now, I think we can kind of somewhat understand and get to know somebody based on observation, like you said, the assistant. Mm -hmm. The danger in not really doing an assessment for them and really getting that clear is we're going to miss some of the other nuances and pieces that come from an, an assessment. Gotcha. Um, and then the other piece of that is that they also need to, it's, it's not just okay for us to understand them. They have to understand us. Oh, that's a great point. That's so true. Right. That so, is so true. And that, that's actually a conversation we have a lot with our team members is that because I am such a strong D it, it's harder for, for our team to come and talk to me about issues because I'm, I have a very strong personality. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris, my partner, he's more I and he's got a lot of C in him. And so it's easier, I think, for team members to approach him. Um, and part of it's an age issue also. I'm older and I've been, you know, I'm sort of the senior partner. Uh, but there are certain personalities that are easier to approach than others maybe, especially if you're an S, I think it's probably harder for you to go and approach a D or an I. For sure. But not, but not so hard to approach a C, right? Because they sure. sort of see the world the same and they can yeah. sort of collaborate e more easily. Yeah. Do you, when, so before you hire someone, before mm -hmm. you recommend we hire someone, do you think that all of them need to have a uh, sort of a DISC assessment? Or would you say, look, if, um, if this person has satisfied two of these, these three um, legs in the stool, let's go ahead and get them hired, but let's get to understand them and help them understand us better by talking about disc styles and stuff. Or do you think we need to be doing this before we go through the, before we do the actual hire? That is a great- Or is it based on role? Or is it based on role in the practice? Done it both ways. My preference is to do it ahead of time and have some of these conversations up front. But I have given the assessment um, after the fact, after they've already been hired um, and are already in the role. I think the sooner we do it, the better. Because yeah. what tends to happen is, you know, you hire me in this role and I'm going along and then you're all trying to train me and we're trying to get, you know, acclimated to one another and I'm, you're, you can all of a sudden you're like, wow, she's got this little something, you know, she doesn't respond really quickly. And I, I, I never noticed that in the interviews. And even though we did all of these other things, um, you know, I think maybe she's just, you know, then we start to make assumptions about what that is versus right. I know, I think I know what that is. So now maybe we need to come out this conversation or this part of the training or whatever, a little bit differently. Yep. I can the tell you part is, is that sometimes people try to be certain things also. So again, it goes back to those interview questions. If I'm just telling you what I'm looking for all the sure. time, yeah. even on an assessment, you, I just had this happen. So you can answer what they think, what you think they want to hear. Yes. Now most algorithms are smarter than that, right? And they're not going to let you lie to yourself very much. But I truly did have an assessment that was like, this is not how this person has presented at all and mm. it's not how they're behaving um, now that they're in the role. So this is an after the fact assessment. Mm. And um, 
I'm sorry, I take that back. I did give it, they'd already decided to hire her, but I did give the assessment. And so I saw some little things there that, okay, this could be some things that we're going to want to pay attention to. But then the behavior that she exhibited once she was in the role was contrary to that assessment. Interesting. And they were, they're like, and now they're thinking like, Jerry, why did we hire this person? And I was like, hold on a second. What did the references have to say? What is this? Okay, so let's do this again. So I had talked with her and said, you know, now I want you to take this again. And I want you to do it really focused on your role as a leader and a manager. Mm-hmm. That assessment came back different. And that, but I said, I'm still surprised by your assessment. I want you to talk to me about this. Did it surprise you? Mm. And my, the answer was so surprising and wonderful because I was ready to throw in the towel with her too. Mm-hmm. And she said, because she was a former hygienist. She said, as a hygienist, I was more direct and more analytical. Okay, fair. Because I was patient facing. I had to be. I was the authority in that. I was the one moving them forward in treatment. She said, but my happy place, Mm. how I like to be in the world is way more this S and S. Oh, interesting. I said, but now, but some of these other traits show up in how you talk to people. Oh, interesting. Now, what then we made the connection is, for 30 years of her career, she was patient facing. Yeah. And now she's team facing. So we've, right, we've moved a, hum- a person into a role. Now this is outside of the practice, but we moved her right. into a role that is different than the role she's used to behaving in. So yes and, can the answer be yes and, Dennis? Sure, both? you bet, you bet. I would, t- I would tell dentists out there that are looking to hire associates I, I've had several really great associates that didn't work out in the practice simply because I didn't understand their personality style yep. and they, they probably didn't understand mine. Yep. Uh, one in fact is uh, just a terrific dentist. Um, I know him as a patient. He's a really strong D. I mean, I haven't, he hasn't done an assessment, but if I now understanding yeah. this and when he came into the practice, my strong D wasn't really open to having somebody yeah. be really strongly opinionated as a young associate. Yeah. Um, I'm in a different place in my time now. And, um, but having known that and understanding that that was, we were going to butt heads, um, that it wasn't as good as he was and as good of a person as he is, he just, it wasn't the right fit for the yeah. time that I needed in the practice. I had another uh, a friend of mine who's a strong C, super strong C. And so he's really analytical. It takes him forever to make a decision. Yes. And um, I didn't understand that. And so as a friend, it didn't really, wasn't such an issue. But when we started talking about patient care, it became really complicated. Yep. Um, and so I would encourage dentists that are looking at bringing in on associates to absolutely before you hire absolutely i think this has to be a strong part of the interview process is to make sure that you understand what they um, what their behavior is going to be and so you understand how that how you naturally behave and how you interact and how you react and how is that going to work out because they could be a perfect person but maybe not the perfect person based on where you are in your career and your, in your personality and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that time and time again. Oh, is that right? So that's not uncommon. No, oh. especially, with, especially in the associate relationship. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, it, it seems so easy, right? You find a dentist who's a you know good good young dentist. They mark you know all the boxes you can check right. off. Right. But they just it's just uh, not the right time for them to be in that role. Jerry, this has been really, I, I think, super interesting. I've really enjoyed learning about these different disc styles in our practice. It made me such a better and such a better leader in our mm -hmm. practice. Look, because of my strong disc style or D style in the disc assessment, um, I'm really challenged by certain personality types that want to be, be, think longer about, a, about an issue yeah. or have more dialogue about an issue. And yeah. I've had to really understand that that is just how they process and how I've had to slow down mm -hmm. and how I've had to, we've had, we've had really frank conversations with our team members about, look, when you need to approach me, when you come to approach me, you need to let me know, I need to be ready to sit down and listen. And is this a good time for me to have a conversation? Because typically, I'm going to want to have a response. I want to have a quick dialogue. Boom, let me go off to something else. So when my team comes to me, they have to say, Dr. Arliff, I'm going to need your attention for a few minutes. Can we talk for a few minutes? And then I know I got to sit back. I got to allow them to sort of give their story. And I have to understand that it's going to take a little bit longer. And I'm okay with it. I just need to understand that this is what's coming. And I got to slow down and be ready to hear it and be um, empathetic to how they need to respond well and vice versa i am going to flip that a little bit too again it's not just one way right i also have to know that sometimes even if i'm that person that needs four or five days to process in this particular instance jerry you don't get four or five days we actually have to move now right yeah. because it's I, if i'm going to come out of my comfort zone to meet you where you are you also have to come out of yours to meet me where i am sometimes right? it can't always be that i'm going to have to modify for you sometimes you're going to have to modify for me that's a great point and i think you've been really good at reminding our team members of that that it's not just one side that everybody has to understand this is collaborative you're going to have to give we're going to have to you know each person's going to have to give a little bit to make sure that we're getting to the to the end result that we're all trying to get to yeah jerry time flies when we're talking i, I tell you know. this it's like it's like a heartbeat um, you've been very generous in offering some assistance for our uh, dental online trainers who yeah. are interviewing people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit what, uh, what your thoughts are. Well, listen, so I, this is hard. Uh, number one, leadership is hard. Ownership is hard. Hiring and interviewing is not an easy process. And it's also why we don't get it very right very often. Um, and We've talked quickly in, in, in these hour segments, right, about some of these new ideas or thinking about how to, how to ask different questions. But, but it, you saw, like some of these tips, I hope you go back and even if you just did one thing starting tomorrow differently, that you were like, you would start to see a, maybe a different result um, in your interview process. But what I want to offer is this. If you would like to have a phone call, 15 minutes, or, or 30 minutes to just talk about how, how do we interview differently? How can we move from interview to audition? Um, and what are some questions you know, to ask? Like I am gonna give you the questions that we ask and upload that. But if you just want a little bit of help with this or a little bit of a deeper dive on one or two or three of the points that you've heard in the last couple of episodes, I am absolutely would love to gift that to you um, because I study this. I do this 
all day, every day. I take extensive courses of study on exactly this and behavioral things, right? So what is natural and easy for me, I know is definitely not for you, nor just in the way that I could never do the dentistry, right? And I, even if you tried to tell me about it today, I couldn't go into your operatory tomorrow and do a darn thing, except to yep. get nervous and sweat and cry probably because I'm just not going to be able to do that. So I want to help you, right? Just no strings attached. Just come. If, you, if you've enjoyed any part of this or want some help, I would like to offer that to you. You can reach me a couple different ways. You can look up my website, which is ggpracticecoaching.com, and then you can contact me there and reach out or schedule a call even right on my calendar. You could email me, which is jerry, G-E-R-I, at ggpracticecoaching.com and reach out. Let me know you're from um, DOT and I will be happy to then send you my calendar link and get a call scheduled with you on one of these interview issues or topics or leadership for that matter. Thank you. That's uh, incredibly generous. We'll put a link also on the website. So Great. for those who want to reach out to you and just get a little bit of help, and, you know, quite honestly, as we're going through, as we all go through this, just a little, you know, a little tip, a little pointer, it can make all the difference. And then like, like learning occlusion, uh, you know, you start out and you learn a little bit more and you learn a little bit more, but we have to have coaches and we have to have people who can uh, give us some, you know, give us a head start on learning all this. Yeah. And I say them one step at a time, right? Or even what is one thing that you heard today or one thing that you heard in a different episode, one thing that you could start doing differently tomorrow. Just that one thing. And then, then later on, you add in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That's fantastic. So, Jerry, at our next meeting, we're going to do a deep dive into the disc styles. Okay. So, I think if anyone enjoyed sort of learning about these sort of personality behavior um, influences or influencing behaviors, join us for the next, next meeting because it's going to be very fun. I love this stuff, and I, uh, I can't wait for us to talk and just sort of do the deep dive into that. So... Uh, before uh, before saying goodbye, thank you, Jerry. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. I, I know that our dental online trainers are going to get great value out of this. So thank you so much. And we will look forward to talking to you soon and continuing on with our conversations. Great. Thank you, Dennis. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye.